The Houston airport was having a problem and um, they were facing uh, uh, continuous complaints about wait time for the baggage at the baggage carousel. So they immediately hired more baggage handlers and they got their wait time down to eight minutes or less, which was like uh, above the, you know, much greater than uh, airports around. But the, uh, the complaints kept coming in. Uh, even though they got it at a, just eight minutes till you could get your bag, the complaints kept coming in. And what they discovered is when people were getting off the plane, it only took them a minute to walk to the baggage claim area. And then they had to wait there for seven minutes on their bag to come. Uh, and that seven minutes of waiting was the problem. And they finally figured out that if they put the gates farther away from the baggage return and made the people walk for seven minutes, and when they got there, their bag was lots of times already there, the people were much happier, and all of a sudden, the complaints stopped. Now, they had a, it took the same amount of time to get their bag, but at least while they were moving along, they kept, uh, they kept uh, uh, their mind off the fact that they had to wait or that they were using up the time uh, uh, that, that day uh, on waiting for a bag. Now, in the article that reported that, uh, they interviewed uh, Richard Larson, which is an uh, uh, MIT researcher, and he's the world's leading expert in waiting on lines. And he said that what happened at the Houston airport makes a perfect illustration. He said, according to Larson, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Often the uh, psychology of queuing is more important than the statistics of the wait itself, says Larson. Essentially, we tolerate occupied time, walking to the baggage claim, far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes much more endurable. <clears throat> I know that this is true in my life. If you have ever been with me driving in the car and we come to a traffic jam on the highway, I will drive 100 miles out of my way not to have to sit in that traffic jam. I don't care if it takes me hours longer to get somewhere, I'll still go out of my way rather than sit in a traffic jam. Or if you have seen me at Walmart, we have our buggy filled and I will walk around for five minutes looking for the quickest lane to get out of the store. Now I could have probably started the first lane and been out of the store by the time I found the lane that had no waiting in it, but nonetheless, that is how I do it. I do not like to have to wait. In fact, I think most of us hate waiting. We avoid waiting at all cost. We, we have in, the, in our mind this mindset that we want it and we want it now. In fact, we order something off Amazon and we want it next day air. Or we want something so bad, we don't have the money for it, we will charge it to our credit card. Or we will go and we will have a tax refund, and instead of waiting on the money, we will go ahead and take a loan on the tax refund so we can get a hold of it an extra few days. We are not very used to waiting. We just do not like waiting at all. Did you know that over... Seven years, the game maker Luminosity rocketed from zero to 50 million users by 
promising rapid improvements in our general intelligence by playing brain training games for just a few weeks. We want to get smarter, so we, we play games on our phone. Now, by the way, they had to settle with the federal government because that was not substantiated by any kind of science. But nonetheless, they convinced us to buy their game, and we played it. We played it because we thought we would get smarter quicker. Did, did you know that memory health nutrition supplements have sales of more than $1.5 billion? Smart drugs, they, they, which help improved uh, cognitive performance have been prevalent in college campuses. In fact, the people who sell subliminal messaging uh, systems, uh, the, those, those messaging promises that will teach us a new language in just a few weeks or cure our addiction, they all are, ba are banking on the fact that we will not wait. We will not put in the work. We just want it to come, and we want it to come easy in our lives. So what are we to do when we have to wait? What are we to do when the brakes are applied and the progress slows and the news hasn't come? By the way, it seems like our church is, is landed right in the middle of that scenario. Due to circumstances outside of control, we've been made to wait. The youth and the, the youth volunteers are still waiting for a student minister. Many are, are waiting on, on the plan for the development of our property across the street. Many have been waiting to hear those words, your cancer is in remission or the test came back with good results, or the surgery was a success, or it looks much better than we thought. The wait can be so frustrating. It can be so discouraging. Yet we can approach it in different ways that will make it better for us. We can approach it properly, and if we approach it properly, the wait can be actually a time in which we can learn more about what God wants us to learn. In fact, I believe there's lessons in waiting. I don't know if you've been keeping up, but we are in the next chapter of Mark. Does anyone know what the next chapter of Mark is? Mark chapter 5. Five. I know you all read it this week, so you're all prepared, you're all ready. Mark chapter 5, you just didn't want to say it to make everyone else feel guilty if they didn't. So you're in Mark chapter 5. We get to Mark chapter 5 and we see these three encounters with Jesus. And these encounters actually teach us volumes about waiting and the lessons that can be learned in waiting. Now, I have to kind of set the stage for you because in chapter 4, it says it was evening time and they went to sail across the Sea of Galilee where they left from and where they ended up at was about a five-mile trip. And will you, if you remember, evening time, they're out there sailing. All of a sudden, the storm comes. They wake Jesus up. We're going to die. Don't you care? And he calms the storm. And in my mind, there is like a glass on the Sea of Galilee in an eerie silence. That eerie silence continues until they get to the side of the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they land on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they start heading off from away from the sea, all of a sudden they hear these terrible shrieks. And out of the darkness they see this 
figure of a man who is moving in, in, in a way that just seems a little bit odd. And they can tell that he's not just moving towards them. He is running towards them. And as he's running towards them in the dark, he, they can hear these chains rattling. And when he gets a little closer, they realize that these are chains that are, have remained on his arms that he had broken free. They're, they're dangling there, the broken remains of chains on his arms. And he runs right up to Jesus, and with a hiss in his voice, he begs Jesus, don't torture us. Don't torture us. In fact, Jesus asked, well, what is your name? Our name is Legion. There are many of us. Please don't torture us. Send us in to those pigs over there. And Jesus does, in fact, send them into the pigs. And if you remember, the, the demons go out of this man into these pigs, and they run down the hill, and all the pigs are drowned in the Sea of Galilee. That's how Mark chapter 5 starts out. But if you jump down to verse 15, I want to pick it up there. The man who these demons came out of. Verse 15, it says, A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd begged began pleading, I should say, with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now we're not told how long this man has been living out in the cemetery filled with these demons and chained whenever they could get a hold of him. We're not told how long he's out there. But no matter how long he's out there, I know that in his mind he is thinking, please don't make me wait anymore. Someone save me from this. And Jesus does just that. He saves him from this demon possession. And you know the man's got to be thinking, whoo, life has changed. But then Jesus says, um, by the way, you can't go with me. You've been waiting all this time to be freed from these demons, and now I want you to wait some more. I want you to wait here. I want you to go back. You can't come in the boat with me. You need to stay. Jesus says, once again, you need to wait. Now, there's something important we understand. We need to understand about waiting, and that's the first lesson we're going to look at this morning, and that is this. We need to fill our waiting time with working. We need to fill the time that we wait with work, and that's exactly what this man did. He has to wait again, but he uses the time that he has at the instruction of the Lord to go and tell others about what has been happening to him, what Jesus has done for him. In fact, he goes and visits the Decapolis or the 10 cities and he witnesses to them. And all those who are there are amazed when they hear what he says. They are amazed at what he's telling them. We often believe that waiting on the Lord means 
waiting like you wait at the doctor's office. You know, you go in, you say, I'm here, I'm here, God. I'm going to sit down right here until you call my name. Until you tell me something I'm supposed to do. Until you go, tell me what I'm, uh, what, what's the next step for my life. And so we sit there and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wonder, why isn't God coming? The problem is that's the reason we feel that way is because we've looked at waiting the wrong way. We're supposed to be doing what this man did. Instead of just sitting there doing nothing, we are actively involved in working for the church and for the kingdom. We're using our time to work for the church and for the kingdom while we wait on the Lord. Colossians 4 verse 5, it says this, Live wisely among those who, do, who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Now, I like that verse, but I actually like that verse a little bit better in the King James Version where it says this, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. I want you to understand that this man, he redeemed the time. He redeemed the time. He took advantage of the time he had, and he used it to proclaim what Jesus had done. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon before going back uh, to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. So the same place he had been earlier with this demon-possessed man, Jesus makes his way back. Now remember, the first time he gets there, they say, please leave, we don't want you here. But this time when he gets here, in chapter 8, verse 1, he's got there, and it says, About this time another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again, and Jesus called his disciples and told them. And all of a sudden, this time when they come back, there's 4,000 men waiting to listen to Jesus' teaching, plus women and children as well. He went from a region that had begged him not, or not to stay. When he gets back just a little bit later, he comes to a region that is ready to hear. And I can't help but to think it was because of the man, the man who went and told them what Jesus had done for him. You haven't been called to sit around and wait. You and I have not been called to sit around and wait. That is not the waiting on the Lord that we've been called to do. We've been called to get busy doing the Lord's work while we wait. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. So this first story, we are taught, don't just sit and wait, work and wait. Now the next two stories are intertwined. And so I've got to kind of tell you them together. Jairus has come to Jesus and he is pleading on behalf of his dying daughter for Jesus to come to his house and lay hands on her. He knows Jesus can heal her and so he's coming and begging him, please come to my house and heal my daughter. And as they head that way, they are delayed and they are delayed by a sick woman. And I want to read to you that text. Chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. Jesus went with him, Jairus, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. 
She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him, so he turned around uh, in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Your suffering is over. Can you imagine the suffering this woman has gone through? For 12 years, the suffering she's gone through. She has went to every doctor she knows. She has spent every penny she has. And not only has she not gotten better, but she has gotten worse. Not only that, but because she was bleeding, she was considered unclean, which meant she couldn't worship. She would have been separated from people because they wouldn't want to become unclean by touching her. And then she lives in this existence of hopelessness, a spiraling time of hopelessness. My health is getting worse. I can't be around family. I can't worship God. And all of a sudden she realizes I can go and find Jesus. And her, her waiting reminds us of something as well. Waiting reminds us that God's way is far greater than the world's. God's way is far greater than the world's. The woman had went to doctor after doctor. She had sought out treatment after treatment. She went through her entire savings account. She found no relief. She got worse and worse. But when she went to the Lord, she got complete healing immediately. Immediately. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't take the treatments. I'm not saying put money before your health. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is make sure that you go to God first. That's where you go. Go to God first and see what he can do. In fact, James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with, the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. It goes on. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sin, you will be forgiven. Now immediately someone will say, well, what about all those people who prayed and, and were not healed? What about all those Christians who prayed and, and they died anyway? Well, I do want you to understand that no matter what healing you find here in this world, you and I are all destined to die, unless the Lord returns first. There may be a delaying of the inevitable, but we're all going to die. But we all, if we come to the Lord, will have complete healing one way or the other. He may heal you now, and that was awesome, and we'll praise God for that, and we'll hope for that, and we'll pray for that. But even if he doesn't, we all have a complete healing in store when he returns or when we go to meet him. 
will all be healed. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. God has plans for us. He, he wants good things to happen in our lives and through our lives. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to understand so often in this life, we're going to be living in such a place that we don't always understand God's will. But if we turn our lives over to God's plan, God's way, instead of doing everything in the world's way, we will find a hope that surpasses understanding. We'll find this place of rest in the Lord. Now back to Jairus and his daughter while all this is going on with this woman who has waited 12 years to be healed, a messenger comes and says to Jairus, leave Jesus alone. Your daughter has died. She's already died. And in fact, Jesus says to him at that moment in Mark 5, verse 36, he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. And then the rest of the story goes like this, 39 through 42. It says, he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kom, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. The last lesson I want us to look at this morning about faith is this. Waiting requires, or excuse me, waiting, is that waiting requires faith, and faith will be rewarded. Waiting requires faith. Why aren't things going quicker, God? Why aren't things happening quicker, God? Why haven't you solved this problem, God? Why haven't we got farther down the road, Lord? I want to know why, why, why? And the truth is, God is saying, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. Jairus, his family had told him. That's who sent the messenger. His family told him, give up. His community, who's in there, mourning for his child, essentially says, give up. I bet in his own heart he's thinking, I need to give up. But Jesus says, have faith, and you'll be rewarded. It's so hard sometimes to have faith when it seems to be taking so long. Things aren't going right, God. The news is looking pretty bleak, God, down here. Yet that's exactly when faith is needed. And that's exactly when faith is rewarded. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. 
God's love never runs out. It will never let us down. It is renewed day after day after day after day. And if we wait on the Lord, working while waiting, trusting Him in His way while waiting, having faith in Him that it will be rewarded while waiting, then God will provide things that we could not even imagine for our lives. Fred Smith, an influential businessman who has mentored Christian leaders for several decades, in the summer of 2004, he was hospitalized in a semi-conscious condition. He was not expected to live. And his family members heard him repeating over and over again, I want to go home. I want to go home. And after a, an emotional family conference, they concluded that they should respect his wishes and allow him to die and go home. They agreed to remove him from dialysis, knowing that death would come in three to five days. For the next 36 hours, they sang, they read scriptures, they prayed, they said their goodbyes. But unexpectedly, this promised peaceful decline turned into a pulmonary failure and choking aspiration. His daughter Brenda sat with him at midnight, begging for answers. And the coughing, however, got worse and worse and worse until it finally broke through Fred's deep sleep and he awoke. And Brenda quietly told him of the family's decision to follow his desire to go home. She explained that he would slip into unconsciousness and then step from here to there. And suddenly Fred's eyes were wide open and he made an effort to speak. Home. I didn't mean heaven. I mean my house. I'm Parkester Drive. <laughs> well, laughing through tears, Brenda quickly called the doctors and rescheduled his dialysis, which Fred called his washing machine. And several day days later, Fred was still prepared to go to his heavenly home, but happy to be at his current home in Dallas. <laughs> the truth is, no matter how long we may have to wait, whether it's through suffering of sickness or waiting on uh, places to go or, or people to come or, or whatever it is, no matter how long we wait, if we keep on serving, we keep on trusting, we keep our faith in the Lord, then one way or another we'll be rewarded. One way or another. Here or there or here and there. But we will be rewarded. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 6 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. What a powerful thought Peter expresses. We have a heavenly secured inheritance that we one day will experience, although maybe for a little while 
we have to suffer here. But the waiting should be transformed into working and trusting and serving and faith in the Lord.